are in Romans again, and we're going to be in Romans, Lord willing, next week as well, and then we'll be back in the book of Acts. And we're talking about the conscience and how to pursue unity as a church in areas related to the conscience. And we looked at Romans 14, verses 1 through 12 last week, and this week we are looking at verses 13 through 23 of Romans 14. And if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning, if you are able. Paul writes this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed, in, is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You may be seated. And Heavenly Father, we do recognize this, this morning our need for unity. We thank you again for those who have uh, served in our military to allow us to, to be here even this morning. And, and our hearts are with those who are, are sick this morning. We pray as uh, many people in our church are, are feeling the effects of, of different illnesses, especially COVID-19, we pray uh, for your, your grace on them and for quick healing. And we pray that you'd open this text to us this morning, help us to understand how to pursue your glory in our church. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Election day itself is, is over. And we're nearing the end of election week, and it looks like election season is, is still upon us, and we're still kind of, uh, and that, we're in that phase where people are asking, okay, what, what exactly happened, and what does it all mean? And that question, what does it all mean, that's a question that is going to continue for years and years to come. What exactly did what the voters communicated mean, and, and all those sorts of things. But I think what's clear now is the same thing that was clear before the election actually took place, and that is that we're a nation very much, uh, very much divided in many ways. And as I mentioned last week, the opportunity for us as a church is very profound. We have the ability through our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ to, to show the world what true biblical unity looks like. And as I mentioned last week, 
One of the obstacles to us, one of the challenges for us when it comes to issues of, of unity is the potential disunity that's going to occur as you and I disagree over issues of conscience. We have different convictions about how we should live the Christian life. We have different convictions about what's right and wrong for us to do in some specific instances. And those divisions that we have related to our, our consciences can cause division. And so we're in Romans 14, and as I mentioned last week, the situation in Romans 14 is that you have two groups of believers, and one group of believers believe that it was wrong to eat meat. Perhaps from what we see in 1 Corinthians, maybe it was meat that had been sacrificed to idols, or maybe it was just meat that had not been uh, prepared appropriately and with all the, the ritual purity and things like that. And so these, this group of believers said, boy, we just need to avoid eating meat. And then you had a, another group of believers who said, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. We can, we can eat meat to the glory of God, and, and our, our, we're not constrained by any sort of uh, cultural obligation that you might feel. And, and Paul is being sought after not to give his decision on who's right or who's wrong, because each group is really convinced that they are the ones that are right. The, the situation that Paul needs to speak into is, is how do we relate to one another? And Paul could have said, okay, start two different churches, two different congregations, and you guys can fellowship with the people who agree exactly like you agree. Or he could have said, look, um, th those of you who are thinking you can't eat meat theologically, you're wrong, just do it. He could have said that. He didn't say that. He could have said, look, those of you who, who, who think you can eat meat, yeah, you're right, but who cares? It's just meat. Give up the burger. Prefer your brother. Okay? But he doesn't say that either. He says that each of them need to do what they believe they need to do for the glory of God, and these brothers and sisters need to not despise the other brothers and sisters, and these brothers and sisters need to not judge the other brothers and sisters. They need to pursue unity. And we who are living here in central Illinois have different convictions regarding how we should live. We have different conscience convictions. And we could do several things. We could say, okay, we're going to do a a church plant, and this church plant's going to live this way, and we're going to live this way, or we're going to have two services, and the services are going to do different things, or we're going to just, hey, those of you who, who believe this, just start living like these people, or you, these people start living like those people. But I, I think God would call us to something deeper. Here's, here's the main idea that we're looking at. Let me just kind of read it again. We, we looked at this last week. Remember, the, the main idea is that the unity of the church and the glory of, a, of God is achieved not when I judge my brother, but rather when I lay down my life for him. The, the unity of the church, the unity of the church and the glory of God is achieved not when I judge my brother, but rather when I lay down my life for him. That's how the unity of the church and the glory of God is achieved. And here in central Illinois, uh, this, this idea that we need to pursue the glory of God through unity is not just in times of turmoil. Uh, issues of conscience can, can hurt a church and cause disunity at, at, at many different times. For example, uh, in years past, and, and I'm going to give a lot of examples over, over the morning, and, and hopefully you understand 
uh, I might be wrong on some of the examples I give. You might say, boy, he says that's an issue of conscience. I think he's off on that. Maybe I am. Hopefully I'm saying all these things very graciously. But in, in years past, <clears throat> we've had families who've come to the church and said, boy, there are, there are just uh, there are too many homeschooling families here. I, I need to find a, a different church. And there have been some families who've come here and said, uh, man, uh, there are not an, enough homeschooling families. Uh, the whole church needs to be a homeschooling church. And, and so people have come with different convictions regarding how to school their children, and they've, they've left because not other, other people share those convictions. The, the PCS families have been awesome. You guys are super chill. Really, no, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> no. You guys are all super chill. You're still here, right? Um, but though that's an issue where we can have very strong convictions. And, and as, as we see here in Romans 14, I, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to say, okay, I'm going to go to this church because I, I see this church and these people are kind of living the Christian life like I am. I don't think it's wrong to make a choice to go to a church based on some of those things. But I, I do think it's dangerous to come to a church, commit to a church, and then find people have different conscience convictions than you do and say, okay, that's it, I'm out of here. Why is that? Well, remember the first principle we looked at last week. The first principle we looked at, just to review real quick, don't judge or despise one another on issues of conscience. That's what we saw in verses one through 12 of chapter 14. And how does Paul begin the chapter? He says, he's talking to the person who's strong in the faith. He says, welcome the person who's weak in the faith. In other words, in, envelop in fellowship. And later in the paragraph, he talks about the person who's strong in faith. They've also been welcomed by God. So in other words, I, I think Paul would say this, look, if, if you've committed to fellowship with one another, and now you find out that a brother or sister in Christ has a different conviction that you do in an area, it, it, it's wrong to say, okay, I can no longer fellowship with you because you have that different conscience issue. You view, that, you view that conscience issue differently than I do. Why? Because the instruction is to welcome, to, to bring into fellowship, to pursue unity, to pursue worship of God together. And quite frankly, we need each other. Those, as I look, think about different conscience issues and think about some people who have this uh, have made this decision on a conscience issue, and people who've made this decision on a conscience issue, I look at those people, I think, man, they really benefit from being in fellowship with one another. That doesn't matter what I think, God's Word commands us to be in fellowship together. Remember we talked about different tiers of issue, there's these first tier issues, doctrinal issues, uh, issues that God says you, you have to be in obedience in these areas to be a believer. Then there's these second tier issues that are kind of our, our denominational differences where we've said, look, we, it'd, be very, uh, it'd be very hard for us to be in fellowship together and have different convictions on these, these very important second tier issues. I still think you're a brother or sister in Christ, but we, we really can't do church together and have radically different thoughts about these second tier issues. And then these third tier issues are what we're talking about over these weeks, these conscience issues. And our default, we see here, is to accept one another. There's a strong brother, there's the weak brother, both brothers or sisters are to accept one another. Strong brother, remember, that refers to a, a person who doesn't feel, uh, doesn't feel restricted in the same way that the weaker brother does. So the, the stronger brother says, look, I, I'm not bound, I'm not required to obey non-biblical 
commands, non-biblical imperatives. It's not, it's not in God's word. I, I don't feel constrained. I don't feel restricted that I need to. That they're strong in the faith. They say I can, I can obey God without doing, doing this thing. The weaker brother, the weaker brother or sister says, "Look, I, I do feel constrained. I, I do feel restricted in what I need to do. I'm, I'm weak in the faith in the sense that I, I do think that God." requires this of me. Yeah, I know I can't find a chapter and verse, but here's a first-tier instruction, and I think what I'm doing right here is a a good application of that first-tier command. That's why I'm doing it, to to glorify God. Okay, that was last week. Here's what we're looking at this morning. Here's the, the main principle we're considering this morning, verses 13 through 23. Pursue building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're talking about how to, to, to have unity in a church as we have different convictions regarding conscience issues. The first thing we do is we don't judge. The second thing we do is to pursue building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you say, well, how do I do that? How, how do I go about building up brothers and sisters in Christ? And there's, there's three things that we're going to see that Paul tells us to do in terms of building one another up. And you can kind of look at these things. One of, them, one of them involves our will. Another involves our heart, kind of our heart attitude. And then the third thing involves our actions, what we do. So here's the first thing. Decide, how, how do I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? Decide you will not become a stumbling block to other Christians. That's the first thing. It's with, with my will. It's uh, my volition. I'm, I'm choosing, I'm deciding to not pass judgment. Here's what he says. Look at the text. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any, any longer. So that's negatively what we don't do. And then he says, rather, decide, uh, determine, uh, commit to, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So what's the instruction? The instruction there is don't, or make a decision to not cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, to not become a a hindrance to them, an obstacle. You say, okay, well, I've decided to do that. (laughs) Now, what exactly does it mean to decide not to cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble? How, How do I obey that? And that is a very good question, and it's a very frankly, kind of controversial question as people say, okay, I've decided not to be, stum- be a stumbling block. Now, this is how I do it. Another believer says, well, I do it a different way. Let's, let's talk about what it means to be guilty of being the cause of, of stumbling. And, and let's walk through what Paul, Paul is laying out here. He doesn't, he's not specific, but he, but he still kind of describes a situation that I think helps us understand how we are obedient to this determination. So the, the first thing you see here, look, look at the text. He says, I, I make, make this decision, never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of, of a brother. And then in verse 14 he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, in itself. So uh, imagine this is, this is you, you're the, you're the strong brother, okay? And, and let's say that the first part of verse 14 is true of you. Okay, you know what God has required you to do, and, and you're fully persuaded, you're and persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So you, you have a right 
theology. You have a right knowledge about what's, what's right and wrong in this issue of conscience. And I, and I over here, uh, I don't. You're knowledgeable, and I, I lack some knowledge. I'm, I'm the weak brother. And, and notice, weak doesn't mean um, sinful. It's, it's, it's sometimes we use uh, that we view that word weak more negatively than I think we should here as, as Paul's talking about it. But you're, you're, here you are, you're the strong brother, and you have right knowledge about how to view this issue of conscience. You, uh, you understand that it's, it's okay to wear shorts to church on Sunday. You get that. I, I'm not there, okay? You, you know that it, it's okay to go for a run on a, on a Sunday. You, you know it's okay to enter a race on a Sunday. Uh, and, and truthfully, you know, this is where I really am. I'm like, uh, I, you know, I'll go running with my daughter sometimes on Sunday, but I, you know, and I ran a, a race a couple years ago on a Sunday, and I just, I don't know about that one. I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. You know that you know that it's, it's, it's okay to, to listen to this, this, this music, and I'm like, I, uh, or maybe it's okay to have this type of worship in a, a church service, and, and I'm like, I, I'm not there. Now, does the fact that you're knowledgeable help me? You would think that here, here I am, I'm, I'm the weak brother over here, and you're the, the strong brother or sister, and you would think, okay, I'm, I'm saved because you're strong. You've got, this, you've got the knowledge, and so now I just need to hang out with you, and, and I'm good to go. And, and here's the sad thing. That's not true. In fact, the very fact that you're knowledgeable and your, your, your understanding is correct in this issue, your knowledge can be actually the tool that you use to harm me. If your knowledge is not joined with love and care and concern for me, your knowledge, intentionally or unintentionally, can cause me to act in a way that I think is wrong, and, and you don't love me enough to treat me with care. And if you do that, if, if you use your knowledge to intentionally or unintentionally cause me to sin, you've, you become a stumbling block. Paul says, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. You use your knowledge to cause me to enter into some activity without any regard for the fact that it violates my conscience. You've become a stumbling block. You say, okay, Daniel, that's still a little vague. Do I need to live my whole life on eggshells because everyone has different conscience? No, let me, let me give you some examples. This, this is what I, I think is best to do in order to apply this. I become guilty of this, or let's say this, you become guilty, if you're the strong brother, you become guilty of this if you begin to belittle my conscience and, and attack it as, as ridiculous. Daniel, have you, have you seen the new superhero movie? Uh, you know what? I, I haven't. Um, I've heard there's, I just don't like movies a lot of bad words in them. It's just not, I don't know, it just kind of rubs you the wrong way. And you're like, Daniel, it's, it's, just, it's not that bad. It's just a, a few words. Oh, and there's that one scene. You know, people say that all the time. Oh, there's one scene. <laughs> but it's not that big of a deal. What are you doing? I, I've shared with you my, 
my, kind of my conscience on this issue, and what are you, you're belittling it. You're saying it's not that big, of, that sin is not that big of a deal. It's not, and therefore, it's not sinful to, to do this activity. Or maybe you create situations where I feel pressure to conform. There's, I, I'm uncomfortable with, with drinking. I, I, I know that it's okay for other people to do, for instance, assume, and, and you, you have a party and, and all the drinks are, are alcoholic drinks. And there's this, this pressure to, to conform. You, you push my conscience. You're causing me to stumble, potentially. Whenever, uh, whenever I was a kid, my, my dad as we watched TV together, he had what he called the three-strike rule. And the three-strike rule meant that you could, we could watch a show, but if someone said a bad word three times, we had to turn the show off. Right? So you'd be watching this show, you'd be really into it, and someone would say a word, and you're like, oh, 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 and you hope dad didn't hear it. Uh, and then the second word happened, you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no, and like, I'm, you're praying for the sanctification of these characters <laughs> more than I've ever prayed for the sanctification in, in my own life, like, Lord, please help these people not to say bad words, yeah. and then the third word would happen in the TV, so that was my childhood, right? When I was in fifth grade, when I was in fifth grade, uh, our, a neighbor invited me over to his house for his, he was a sixth grader, so I got invited to a sixth grade party, and they, they watched, they, they told my parents, hey, here's the, here's the movie we're going to watch. And, and it was just a movie with, it, it was probably PG, PG-13 movie. But I can just remember being so troubled by all of the language. I, I went into the bathroom and just like prayed. I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to handle that. Now, that sounds, to me now, now my conscience has probably become too seared in the issue of, of language in a movie, right? But if you create situations where I feel pressure to conform to your view of conscience, you are in danger because you are potentially causing me to stumble, and that's not what God has called you to do. And then here's another way that you can cause a brother to stumble, and this is probably the hardest to quantify and the easiest to abuse, and so let me just kind of lay out what I, I, I think this means. If you live out your freedom in, in such a way that, that flaunts it, so to speak, it's potential that you can create an environment for me to stumble. Now, I want to be very careful here because we'll get into why you have to be careful, but maybe you have Facebook posts of, of you doing something that violates my conscience and there's, there's, it's, it's celebrated or or maybe I have a strong conscience and I, I quote movies that uh, kids in our church aren't allowed to watch and they, they hear uh, the, the pastor talking about this movie that they know that mom and dad have told them they, they, have, they have nothing to do with, right? And it bothers their conscience. Now, what I'm saying is that this means to, to have a lifestyle that is unconcerned with what your conscience convictions are. It doesn't mean that, that I can't do anything you might be offended by. That would, that would render Paul's instruction to the weaker brother nonsensical because the weaker brother has to not pass judgment on the stronger brother. But what it means is as I live my life, I'm aware, hey, some of the things that I'm doing, other believers disagree with. 
And I'm not going to do these things in such a way that says, your concerns are, are silly, your concerns are nonsensical. I, I'm going to be careful in the way that I live in, in such a way where it says, look, I know that we disagree on this, and I'm respectful that you've made different decisions. I don't know if it's nebulous, right? But that's, that's what I think Paul would have us do. I want to live with regard to my brother or sister in Christ. And if I don't, I'm destroying them. If you don't and you have good theology, you're destroying them. Here's a couple applications. Questions for application, maybe. Can we as a church commit to living respectfully to one another? Saying, look, I, I respect how you are living, and I believe I believe that you are motivated to do what you're doing. I I believe that you're motivated to believe what you believe because you want to glorify God. Unless I have some sort of evidence to the contrary, I'm going to believe that you are doing what you're doing because you want to glorify God, and I'm going to respect that. And I'm going to be careful about how I talk to you in areas in which we disagree because I believe that you are earnestly seeking to glorify God and love God in those areas in which we differ. Can we commit to living carefully with one another? Can we commit to saying, okay, I, I, I believe I have freedom in this area, but I know that you don't, and so I'm going to be careful as I live out this area of my life. Can we commit also to persuading one another with gentleness? In other words, I think it's okay for us to say, look, you believe that? Well, I kind of believe this, and I think you're, I think you're weak in faith here. Or I think you're living in sin here, but we're going to be very careful as we talk about that. We're very gracious and gentle, and it's not going to ruin fellowship. And then also, I think we need to say this, I'm going to commit, or can we commit, to not bludgeoning one another with claims of conscience. The conscience can not only be used by the strong to harm the weak, the weak can also use claims of conscience to hinder the strong. In other words, if I'm weak in, in, in an area and you're strong, I, I, I'm struggling with uh, shorts on a Sunday morning. I, I struggle with shorts on a Sunday morning when it's 100 degrees outside, right? Um, I, I'm not going to, to go around to other Christians saying, hey, look, uh, you're wearing shorts. That might cause me to stumble. It doesn't cause, like, I'm not tempted to wear shorts because you are. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm not going to wake up one morning, oh, I think I'm going to wear shorts today. I saw someone wearing them last week. I'm not going to do that. Just go easy on each other, right? Let's not bludgeon each other with our claims to conscience. So <clears throat> let's pursue building one another up. Here's the second thing we need to do as we're talking about building each other up. We need to prioritize kingdom of God living. So we're going to decide not to become a stumbling block as we pursue building each other up. And then secondly, we're going to prioritize kingdom of God living this is dealing with our hearts. Paul says what the kingdom of God is not and what the kingdom of God is. He says in verse 16, so don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So don't take the, the, the good convictions, the good knowledge that you have and, and be, have it be spoken of as evil because you're causing other people to sin. And then he says this in verses 17 and 18, and I think this is, this is so important for us to grasp as we get our hearts rightly oriented to this 
principle and then can rightly relate to one another. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God, that's the kingdom that you and I as believers are all ultimately a part of before we're Americans, before we are Illini, before we are uh, whatever school we're a part of, our first, whatever family we're a part of, first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? He says the kingdom of God, first of all, is not a matter of eating and drinking. So this, this issue that you guys are, are tearing each other up about, whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols or meat that had not been prepared in the proper way, um, that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. That's not going to be a, a great matter of conversation in eternity. Hey, what do you think about the meat? It's just, it's just not an issue. Same thing with drinking, not all that important. And if a person is consumed with, with third-tier issues, if a person is, is consumed with, with arguing about things that are not about the kingdom of God, that, that's a sign that that person is, is not rightly prioritizing their lives and certainly not rightly prioritizing relationships with other believers. When you find yourself getting frustrated with another Christian, ask yourself, okay, is this a, is this a kingdom of God issue? Is this something that we're going to be talking about in eternity, or, or is this just a waste of time for me to be all that worked up about this? What is the kingdom of God? Paul says this, the kingdom of God, it's not eating and drinking, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, and, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about righteousness. That is, uh, it's about a lifestyle reflecting devotion to God, being fully committed to Him and His glory. Not about enslavement to different rules, about what I'm going to do or not do. It's about peace. It's about the, the peace that comes from righteous living. It's about joy, that, that joy that transcends circumstances in the Holy Spirit right living, peace from God, joy in Him as the Spirit enables us. That's what the church is about. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about arguing about these conscience issues. When I'm pursuing these silly issues, it means, look, I, I'm not loving my brother or sister well. Here's, here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a phenomenal, phenomenal pastor and preacher just incredibly wise and incredibly godly. But if I may very humbly suggest, I think he, was, I think he had some blind spots. Listen to what he wrote as he, as he talked about other Christians. And he had, I think, I think Lloyd-Jones had some good, had some amazing first-tier theology. I would, I would commend him to you for your first-tier theology. But when it came to the third tier and applying it, I, I think he had some blind spots. Let's, listen to what he wrote. He said, I cannot possibly understand. Remember, we talked about, last week we talked about the idea, I can't understand. I just noticed that he wrote that. Um, I cannot possibly understand a man who wears silk stockings or even gaudily colored socks, rings, got a ring on, wristwatches, spats, shoes instead of boots, or who carries a cane in his hand. Okay. So, all those things, non-starters for him. I, d I don't know what spats are, but, and I don't like godly colored socks, but I think pretty much everything, or canes, but everything else I think I'm doing right now. Right? Listen, listen to what else he said. He said, later he would write, the modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but it has been a real curse to humanity. 
If I had to spend a lifetime with a companion who had one bath a day or with one who had a bath a year, I should unhesitatingly choose the latter because a man's soul is more important than his skin. Now, is he right? Is soul more important than skin? Yes, but what, it, what is his assumption? A person who's bathing all the time, every day, it's a person who's way more concerned about his outward appearance than his, than his soul. Now, could that be right for some people? Sure. Is this an issue to bring up in a sermon about bathing? No. He says, and then another application, another conscience issue that I think he is, is he's too absolute on. He's, he's not focused on the kingdom of God rightly here. He says, when I enter a house and find that they have a wireless apparatus, it's a radio. <laughs> when, I, when I enter a house and find that they have a radio, I know at once there's something wrong. Your five valve sets may do wonders. They may enable you to hear the voice of America, but believe me, they will never transmit the only voice that is worth listening to. Now, Lloyd-Jones was concerned about righteousness. He was concerned about the kingdom of God. But I think in some of these issues, he got distracted with some, some issues that, that were not kingdom of God issues. They weren't kingdom of God issues. Priorator, prioritize kingdom of God living. Pray that God would help us rightly prioritize the right things. Last principle here, do things that lead to peace and building up, uh, building each other up. Le do things that lead to peace and to building each other up. This is, this is with our hands what we're doing. He says this, let us pursue what makes <clears throat> for peace and mutual upbuilding. That's the instruction in verse 19. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He's repeating some things he said earlier. So, so here's, here are the principles. Number one, applications. Number one, we need to give up those things that might undermine God's work and focus on building what God is doing, okay? So we want to give up those things that might undermine God's work, and we, we want to focus on strengthening the things that God is concerned about. So how, how, do, I, how do I do that? Here's, here's a chart that's, that's building on what we looked at last week. Remember that last week we talked about the, the people on the ends, right, the, the strong conscience and the weak conscience. And there on the, on the end you have the, the strong conscience, and this is the person who eats meat, but they've, they've, they've gone into heresy as they're saying, look, I can, I can do whatever I want. So they've, they say they have a strong conscience, but it's led them into a denial of the gospel. But then just short of that, you have the person with strong conscience who's who's sinning it with, with arrogance. They diminish the gospel as they say, look, I have the freedom to eat meat, and those who don't are being unreasonable, and they're in theological error. And so he's, what is this brother doing? He's despising the brother. We, we can't do that. Then on the other far end, you have the person with the, the weak conscience. And the person with the weak conscience on the far end, they've, they've gone into heresies, they've denied the gospel, distorted it by, by legalism. You have to do this, and you have to do this. And if you're going to be... If, bound right with God. You've got to eat this and observe this day and not do that. But then just shy of that, you have the person with a weak conscience who's judgmental. They're not into heresy, but boy, are they judgmental. This person isn't as right with God as I am because of what I'm doing. But then you have those, those people in the middle. Just, just to either side of the exact middle, you have people who are living in love, and you have this person with strong conscience and weak conscience, and they're revealing the gospel as they love each other. But right there in the center is where we desire to be. 
And look at this person. This is a person with a strong conscience. They recognize that they're free to be flexible in disputable matters in order to edify fellow believers and in order to advance the gospel. As Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul says, look, I will do whatever I need to do in disputable. I'm not going to do anything sinful, but I'm going to do what I need to do in order to love others. I'm going to choose to be constrained when I need to be because you are far more important to me than my rights. I'm going to give up those things in my life that might undermine God's work, and instead I'm going to focus on building up what God is doing in your life. That's where we're really going to make progress, church. Unity comes about as I say, look, I, yeah, I can eat. Yeah, I can drink. Yeah, I can wear this. I can wear that. But, but I'm not really thinking about that that much. I'm so consumed, not with what I can or can't do, or what you should or shouldn't do. I'm so consumed with wanting what's best for you that these conscience issues kind of become moot. Secondly, second point of application I encourage you with is mind your own business. <laughs> mind your own business. What, what does Paul, how does Paul put it? He puts it a little more nicely. He, he says, uh, he says to, to, to keep, the, verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blesses the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Mind your own business in the sense of saying, look, this, what I'm choosing to do is, is based upon my desire to glorify God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek to glorify God, and then I'm not going to, I'm not going to go around arguing with people. I'm, gonna, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing what's right me and the Lord. And then finally, the final application here is to obey your conscience. We'll talk about more of this of that next week, but I'm going to obey my conscience. I'm going to do what the Lord, what I believe the Lord is calling me to do. I'm going to stop there for this morning. The unity of the church, the glory of God is achieved not when I judge my brother, but rather when I lay down my life for him. May God help us through the gospel of Jesus Christ to love one another enough to do that. Father, we pray for your grace. We pray that you would help us pursue this unity, not for our own glory, not for our, our own ease, but for the glory of your name and the unity of the church. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.